this summer we're bringing you double Koi gig. I think the amount of high scoring has been a surprise to me because I thought that the teams were closer than what they are, but the powerhouses seem to still be the powerhouses. Subscribe to the OTB Koi gig pod on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Okay, you're very welcome back to our Galway special here on OTBAM. We have made it out to Onakaharu Rua, and I'm delighted to be joined by Sean O'Donnell, who was, of course, on the All-Ireland winning teams with Galway in 1998 and 2001. Sean, how are you getting on? Thank you very much, Owen. I'm good this morning. Thank you. Lovely to see all the bunting coming out here, all the Irish names and the, the Gaelgors and the people from the Gaeltucht getting well supported in this part of the world. Is this a, a real source of pride for those players on the team that are from the Gaeltucht? Well, I suppose we've got to think we're so proud of Sean Kelly um, because he's the captain of the team from McCullen who would be in the Gaeltucht here. We have, then you came through Spiddled in on the way out of Fentanyl Lai. So we're good. We're, we're very happy because we, the, I suppose the Gaeltucht and the Gaelgory would have a prong, strong, I suppose, uh, tradition with the Galway teams, the winning teams going back over the years. So we're very proud of them and um, what they've achieved today because it wasn't easy. It's been a long time waiting, like since we're 2001. Like so, it's a long time coming. From your own team, it was yourself and Sean Oakdepoer that represented the Gaelic. Was there was there a few others as well? Oh, there was four actually. I suppose Pat Comer was okay. playing for Inkaru at that time. Kevin Terry McDonagha. Then you had a guy Michael Gagan from Nets and More. Then you had I suppose the Clannan boys, the Spillers. It was a, there was a good gang actually. I think altogether it was about 15, 16 from the West on that team. So it was a strong Gaelic. There was a lot of Irish in that team at that moment in, in time. So it was good. And I should probably have uh, done this interview in Irish and I'm just incompetent uh, and uh, I feel doing it a disservice here because when you're driving around, uh, it's Irish college season as well, which is just a, a strange experience for those kids, I'd imagine, being here in the middle of uh, an All-Ireland final week, which obviously is never the case. Well, that's tr- as you said, and it's um, actually the building we're in at the moment has got Kalosh de Kieran, who's actually owned by the father of Seanlogue de Puyer. Right. So um, it's, it's one of those, we have over 300 students here and a lot of great footballers came through the door here, like I think we were mentioning earlier, like Michael Darren McCauley, He's been here, uh, Kieran Kilkenny, Chaffis Patrick played for Kilkenny. So these ones are all student teachers would have come through the door here. So you never know, the next generation is probably in at the moment from all around the country. What did the likes of Macaulay and Fitzpatrick and Kilkenny get out of their experience down here when, when they popped down? I suppose you have to wait for their books, like, you know what I mean, like that. So it would be rude to say anything like in mean, because I suppose that learning the Irish, which is important, but there is a kind of a, a social side to it regarding the culture and the language. And I suppose the pubs have a large sign it too. But, you know, they were, to my knowledge, they were good and they looked after themselves and they behaved. So that's the most important thing. Is there, uh, not a divide, but is there kind of like an extra sense of pride about people from this part of the county compared to maybe some of the, the city lads? Is there kind of like a, a country town divide like there is in most counties here? There is, I suppose. The Gweltoft would be seen, I suppose, a different part. Like, you know, I suppose we're no different to other parts of the country, but the language. So that's what we see ourselves different. We take pride in it and we understand the value of it, which is very important to myself. I'm dealing with it every day. So it's kind of a scenario where... We, we understand it, where it's come from and we kind of, I suppose, we deal with the Gweltoft. We have a competition here yearly which is called the Comortus Pelna where all the clubs in the Gweltoft would be playing each other on a yearly thing in an All-Ireland competition. So you get to understand and see and acknowledge and kind of befriend other county players, other county teams. So it, it's a strong relationship which probably other clubs wouldn't have that we have, which is very important to us and we kind of value it. 
And you'd have that connection, obviously, with the, the likes of the lads in, in West Kerry as well. Obviously, they'd pop up for that for that competition. We do, and we pop down there. Like, I mean, it's, I always go back to like the times we played the Gothic teams. Like, there was a huge, strong the Kerry team. I mean, there was huge, strong Gothic times that time. And myself and Sean Oak Dupuyer would be kind of speaking Irish all the time when we were playing. You does you use this kind of as tactical because a lot of the players we were playing didn't have any Irish. So you'd be able to say in Irish if the ball was being kicked out, like oh, Thief Clay, Nudiresh, Fanchis, and Francis, stay up, stay down, go sideways. But then it was strange that Gothic boys are doing the same in Kerry. So when we played each other then we were kind of speaking Irish we are looking at each other and saying what's the point these guys know it as well but we continued on and it's funny all our conversations would be still in Irish and afterwards so it's, it's nice and I suppose it's a way of keeping the thing going alive which is good Right so yourself and Darrow O'Shea had no advantage over one another when he came head to head in 2000 for example Well that was it and actually Irish would be what we'd speak to each other like you know I suppose when we were flaking each other in the middle of the pitch that time the cursing was done in Irish and that's how it was but there was no advantage and we knew that and it was kind of strange because it took us a few seconds to kind of acknowledge it actually there's no point speaking Irish because they understand us anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll get to that 2000 game uh, in a moment because it obviously has great parallels with this year. But I'm just more interested, first of all, in, in 98 because there was just this brilliant ability where maybe your neighbours in, in Mayo had come so close a couple of years earlier and Galway kind of came and won it at the, the first time of asking in, in 1998. There could be a very similar story this weekend if Galway are to get over the line. Well, there's huge similarities you think about. Like, like we were always watching Mayo from 96 and 97 going to our finals. I mean, so close. And we knew a lot of those players. And I suppose the old time, it was, it was knockout competitions. So we used to have early summers, you know, that time. So we knew that. And when Jono came in then in 98, being a Mayo man and I suppose the experience, the whole culture of the county team changed. I suppose we know it and we take it for granted now, professionalism and how it is. But we probably started that time regarding sports psychology, dietitian video analysis even though the, probably the younger generation don't have a clue what a VHS tape is but we had Larry Gorman from RT doing video, video analysis for us that time of the other teams but it, it changed the whole mentality of the team at the time I suppose another thing too like every county and probably club team there was a bit of politics on what club or what college John came in with a clean slate he didn't give a difference if you were a junior or where you went or school or what stories you were picked on your football ability and your things so we had a strong team there and um, he, he, I suppose the result was at the time is we played a Mayo team that were probably favourites again in 98 when we had to go to Castle Bar. And, but we went up there as pure underdogs, but went up there with huge kind of, I suppose, confidence and credit. We knew we could beat them. We knew we had the players to beat them. We knew we were as good as them. And if we showed it the year before, in, I suppose, in 97, when they bet us in Toom, that we weren't far off it. And I suppose that's, I go back even the year before that, when they bet it was a real hot day in Toom Stadium, that we, we were, again, we didn't start well, but we should have won it. Maybe a few mistakes and a bit more probably experience would have won it for us. But uh, we knew then we were as good as them. When you see a team then get into a final, you kind of say, you know what, I'm, we're not far off it. And I suppose that people didn't understand that. You kind of, your own credibility is kind of building at that stage. But then in 98, it's funny as we look in coex of this year, we played Mayo in the first round championship. We played Leitrim. We played Roscommon. Then we played Derry. So it's kind of the same trend going on, nearly the same results. So uh, hopefully, the only difference is Kerry got beaten by Kildare in the semi-final. Yes. So we played Kildare. So hopefully that this trend continues on. And we're, we're going to a good place too because... The expectations in the county wouldn't be huge, and I'm not putting it in a negative way that we don't uh, we don't have confidence in our team, but we know that, like I suppose, we look at our neighbours and every year saying we're going to win it, we're going to win the All Ireland. So we know we're against a very good, strong Kerry team with big with big experience, big players, probably one of the best forwards in the country or ever in in Clifford. And we look at the t- management team of O'Connor, who's got serious experience. So we know to win this game, we have to be at our best. But then in All Ireland, you have to be at your best to win them. That's really interesting, the sort of using Mayo as a benchmark in, in 98, that you saw a team come close the previous two years, 
we can beat them, therefore we can come at the very worst close to winning in All-Ireland. Do you think that that's a, a real piece of psychology that, that they would be using this year, for example? Of course, like when, like you can think Mayo got beaten in the final again last year against Tyrone. Galway played them first round, having been beaten a few, two, three years before that, beaten them. Same as Roscommon in the kind of final, having lost twice in the league, beaten them again. Then you're going up against against a team like Armagh. Different mentality, different physicality. Um, then beating them in extra time and on penalties, which was a huge mental thing. Like so, I always remember like the kind of scenarios of this that. That game actually made the Galway team the Armagh game. I always look at that game when, when was it, six, seven points up going into injury time. We we kind of, you might as well say, won't, we blew it. Simple as that. Like, and I mean, that game should have been buried. And probably a bit of a trend that was going with Galway up to that game. Mayo were well ahead last minutes of the game. Let them back in. Same as Common. Then we did it against Armagh. But we call it the handbags on the sideline. We don't call those. And any of the lads that played in the older years, in the 90s and noughties, we don't call them ruckus. They weren't fights at all. Like, you know... But the two lads that got caught, I suppose, they got what was coming to them and, and they learned from that. You know what I mean? There were two young lads, uh, like the, the, the Armagh lad and the Galway lad. So they learned from that and they're getting the punishment for it. But um, the thing about it was, Galway were going in that time with the heads down and when that happened, it kind of, I suppose, it put a bit of air back into their chest and the chest went out. So that actually, if anything, it actually helped Galway more than Armagh and it was seen in the extra time and the penalties. But going on to that, like we have, um, we were saying their mentality of the, the supporters are kind of, we're not over expecting to win the game which is good and you can probably see we haven't gone crazy in the bunting and all that stuff and the, and the tyres on the on the side of the road and there's no talk of any homecoming and all that stuff and pitches and places being ready and booked but that's the way we always were in Galway and the same in Kerry you know we'll celebrate when we win but we'll also celebrate the team that loses as well because we know the work they've put in and they deserve that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting as well, actually, talk about Galway uh, potentially blowing it against Armagh. You've maybe got two teams who blew it at various stages yeah. in, in the path so far, so it's really interesting uh, on a psychological level. And, and when you talk about psychology there, just to go back to 98 again, you mentioned John O'Mahony maybe bringing those sort of things into, into proceedings in, in 98. We've all seen the documentary. We've seen A Year Till Sunday. One of my favourite pieces of psychology is the newspaper uh, being held up. I mean, just, fancy dance. Yeah, uh, the fancy dance, exactly. What other bits didn't we see in the documentary that, that, that tapped into your psychology? People understand there was 200 hours of video done. We always wanted the uncut version of Pat PC and there's talk of a new one, take two. So that'd be interesting to see what's it like after 20, like you might as well 24 years. You should wait till 25 years next year. We'll do our homecoming, as I say. But the thing about that at the time was um, at the start, I suppose, I wouldn't say we were comfortable with it at the time. And you see the first videos that were hidden behind uh, uh, sports bags and corners and under behind water bottles. But then as we got to the kind of final and after, it was just PC with a camera right. and don't forget Pat was playing at the time he was, he was, he was a sub keeper at the time and so it was hard for him now it's maybe it's a bit easier as he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a coach now with Galway with under PC like under Port Joyce so but the thing about it was and I think that's what made it so valuable um, he was able to do it and to see the, I know a lot of teams tried it before but never actually got to the Holy Grail. And I suppose for people, as you said, the sports psychology, a lot of supporters still do think we just go training and that's it and we show up at the day of the match and there's no more about it. There's a huge amount of work and it's changing every year and the amount, they're, you might as well say they're pure professionals like that. There's no difference than a GA player today, county GA player as a soccer premiership player. They have to do the same commitments, uh, which is kind of a scenario, same sacrifices, you might say. They're not even commitments, they're sacrifices, bring family, work, everything. And then we only see one team win. 
and we forget the teams that fall. There's no difference, and I'm not picking Leitrim as a bad team, but those players put in the same uh, sacrifices as the team, like if Dublin players were doing. But the thing about it is just to be the team with the better players or the better background or the better financial thing. So regarding the year till Sunday, I suppose it showed behind what was going on. And it wasn't all pretty, and it shows that, like, you see arguments, you see players, and I got a bit of a stick in that video too, like, and that's what it was. But it also shows us going, what you do before the match, going up in the trains, like, people didn't see parts where Jano brought us up to Crow Park before the semi-final. We're at the All-Ireland semi-final hurling. And the reason being is a lot of us never saw Crow Park, the new Crow Park at the time, the dressing rooms and the, the, the warm-up pitch and what he was trying to do, which again, which is sports psychology, the mental side of it, the sound side of it. So when we arrived at Crow Park for the semi-final to play Derry, we weren't in awe of the stadium. We were here last week, he saw it. Right. We were brought up to the hurling All-Ireland final. We were there, and I always remember this from Jano, and this is something I'll always I remember is the game was over, Kilkenny were after being beaten by Offaly, the famous Offaly-Kilkenny final in 98. And we're all ready to go, and John said, stop. We're, I think we're on the Hogan, Upper Hogan at the time, and he said, stop, and where would it look? And he pointed over where the Kilkenny boys were, the further on the Cusick side. And he looked, and the downstairs, you could see the Offaly boys celebrating with the McCarthy Cup, and he remember looking to us and said, where do you want to be in two weeks' time, on that side or below? And it's, again, it's a mental picture. And these things do stand to you then when you're, when you're playing, when, when the, you say when you hit the wall and you, kind of, you start thinking this, where do I, want to, do I want to be the winning side of it or do I want to be the losing side of it? So he was very shrewd, smart, teacher-like way, but he was before his time and the stuff like he, you never went on the pitch unprepared. Like regarding his work or education, he was always there asking the questions, are you all right? Um, he brought in a sports psychologist. We thought he was mad, like, you know what I mean? I suppose the sports I thought we were mad as well. But there were the stories that happened. I remember I had a meeting with a sports car, I remember when I was working and John said, do you want to meet Bill? And I was saying, why do you need Bill? I'm too busy, I'm working and all this stuff. He says, no harm, Sean, to meet him. I was saying, why? And then I was thinking, was there something wrong with me then that he wanted me, to, you know what I mean, like this, where they're taking it for granted now. And I remember we met in a, in a hotel there, Connemara Coast, and we're just having a chat over a cup of coffee. And I was kind of thinking, listen, I'm too busy for this. Like, what's the story? And, and what came back was, I suppose, my preparation for games was, I used to laugh and joke. And that was me kind of, you know what I mean? That was my way of handling nerves. It would be just being kind of joking around in the dressing room and like that. And I suppose that those other lads then weren't liking me joking around where they're trying to be serious. So I suppose the, the, the deal we got was I had to go into the shower before matches just mess around. So the other guys, so that was, that's your sports psychology in the 90s, like, you know? Okay, so he divided the, the messers from the serious men. Well, I suppose we're all serious, but I suppose yeah. we all tackle stress in different ways. Sure. And that's the way, where if we're all the same in a boring world, and I suppose that was my way of doing it and a few other lads where other guys used to get sick, other guys used to be have their, I mean, walking up and down, pacing, other ones would lay out the clothes and that's what makes us a different team. But the thing about it, we all had the same goal and wanted the same ambition and that's what makes it, made it a good football team at the time. That's a really interesting one about Jono bringing you to Crow Park beforehand. So like, do you actually get down to the dressing rooms even when the hurling final, semi-finals and final are on just to get a look around what's underneath the stadium as well? It was afterwards, we went in afterwards. So it was just, it was strange because like, I know the lads, some of the lads were there in 95 when they got to the semi-final, but it was a new team, it was an underage team as well, like that was the Porrick and those. So it was the new Crow Park dressing rooms at the time with the new warm-up area. So it was great to walk around and see the stadium and see the pitch. And the most important thing, which was really is the dressing rooms. So you're looking around and maybe now, as I say, the new teams, it's, it's nothing new to them, but to us it was new. And um, the atmosphere too of a semi-final, the atmosphere of a final. You don't understand the sound, people like, I mean, yes, we've all been in the stadium, but on the pitch, it's a different echo, it's a different sound. And the thing about it is the visual side of it. 
And that's why I thought always, and to this day, it still stands me seeing the Kilkenny teams with the head down on the far side of the pitch and their, their hands folded over and looking at the awfully captain receiving the McCarthy Cup. And it always stands to me regarding, you know what, I know what side I want to be on. And it makes you, it might only be a half a percent you work harder, but that's the difference. If 15 guys do that half a percent, it's the difference of winning and losing a match. If you could fast forward a little bit then, and it's not going to be a factor that will be anywhere near the minds of the players this weekend, but having been champions in 1998, how important was it for your own sense of legacy to win a second one? Well, I suppose the, the killer and the, and, and the kick in the teeth to us was 99, because yeah. we had a good team. We knew we were good enough there. And I suppose it was 32 years of heartache and we celebrated and we did celebrate. But the problem that time, the league started again in October. So we didn't have much time to celebrate, but it was kind of, we didn't even have a team holiday because we didn't, this shows you how unprepared we were. It was like we got vouchers to go individually, but we never went on a team holiday in 98. So because we didn't expect it, it wasn't one of those things to do. But, uh, and you're back in it again. But in 99 when Mayo beat us, that was hard. That really, really hard. It hit kind of a, a sore bone with us as a team. There was a lot of changes to the panel as well in between 98 and 99. A lot of the young lads were brought in from Corrafane. So it was kind of a rebuild to a certain T. Um, but it was hurt. It was very hurtful and the snare was there. So when we got beaten by Mayo and then again, typical Mayo doing what they do best, going so far and just falling at the last hurdle. So, uh, 2000 was a different one for us. We knew then we... It was always said, and it's still said today, a good team wins in Ireland, a great team wins two. And don't forget, we look, we, we take it for granted now, Dublin being in Ireland final and winning five, six finals. And But that time, no team had done two in a row. So it shows you since the great Cork team of the 90s. So it was, it was unheard of, really, at that stage. So we knew we had to win another one. So in 2000, I suppose, it was kind of back to the drawing board. We weren't all Ireland winners, sorry, champions anymore. We were just another, another kind of a team trying to win it. So we, again, after 2000, I suppose, we look at it, I think we played, I think that's the game we played Sligo and we kept them scoreless for a whole half, which is unheard of in today's championship. Like we, I think it was 16 points to no score at half time. We played Leitrim in the kind of final. I think Leitrim only got one point in injury time. So we were a team with a mission. You know what I mean? We weren't taking any prisoners. Be like the Dublin team. You know the way we kept the foot on the throat. We just kept going. But then um, we had, I remember it was a hard game. I think the semi-final against um, Kildare. I remember that time it was a kind of a wet day in Kildare. Again, Kildare fans really hated Galway, like the Derry guys. Yeah. We just were their bogey team, came up against a good team and they had a good team. But I remember the Kerry game was Kerry again, typical. You kind of, it's an old scenario. You really aren't great champions. You beat Kerry. And I suppose you can say where Limerick last week too with the hurling, they had to beat Kilkenny. And I suppose for us that time, we knew we were good enough. We were going in kind of a bit as an underdog as well because this was a serious Kerry team with some serious stars. And I suppose we look at the first game was, I think we started very badly. Uh, Kevin was injured at the time, who was a huge loss to myself in midfield as well because the experience that he brought like in his, in his, in his wise old head as well. He taught that himself anyway, but we say that to him anyway. But again, huge experience on the day. So we get them, I think, for eight points down at half time or something like that. But um, Kevin then came on the second half and um, it was a different game. And I always remember to the dying five, six minutes, we had them. Yeah. They were beaten. I remember, like, I'm not saying this in a derogatory way about Darrow Shea because uh, a warrior and a leader, but you could see in his eyes and the body language, they were, he was, they were beaten. Yeah. They just wanted to be put out of their misery. We were there and think, I think Sean O'Toole had a chance and I always remember Derek Savage going for a shot on Porrick inside and if he only passed it, Porrick would have buried it. Sean missing another one. We had three or four chances there to win the game and you know if you got that, just that extra one to go ahead, we would have won the match. Yeah. And I suppose from us was 
from coming from a kind of a bit like we're looking at the Orget Ma game, we came from behind to draw it. We were kind of happy. Yes. Where Kerry knew they came back, they had another second chance and we didn't learn. And I always look at that in the replay, we didn't learn. And um, even though Declan Mean got an unbelievable goal and Morris Fitz, like, and I mean, an honour from likes of me to play on a pitch. Like, people understand, we talk about the great players now of the, of the Cleveland Clippers. Morris Fitz was an absolute genius. He was a magician with the football. Like, I mean, he's not many players you could say that could play in goal and play corner back and play also corner forward. He was just, he was unbelievable and, and respect him for that ever. Like, and a gentleman on and off the pitch. But um, we just didn't learn. And it's not a, not in kind of a quality or defect to the management or the players, just that they just wanted a bit more on the day and that's what happened to us in the, in the replay. So it was a hard one because it, it hadn't been a long time. I always remember the first game going to, the, I think it was the City West we went to. Or it's a weird thing sitting down and you just want to go home. Yeah. You don't want a dinner, you don't want to talk, you just want to go home and just get back on, back on the pitch again and you're there going through the whole motions of a, an after dinner of a defeat or something like that. So it was hard because we had two weeks of a draw and a defeat dinner. And it didn't. And I think all those things stood to us in 2001, where we knew we just didn't want to taste it, that defeat again. And you'll always hear players saying, "You need to lose one to win one." I don't believe that. No, because no. I was going to ask, like, does 2001 happen if you don't lose 2000? I always say, if we'd won 2000, we probably wouldn't have won 2001. It would be one. I just I don't know why. I just one of those things. But I don't believe in that. You hear these teams, you need to lose one. Look at Mayo; they've lost enough. They haven't won one. So how many do you have to lose? Um, so we look in a scenario where. If you can win it, win it. Because you don't know, like, who would have thought after 2001 that it would take 20, 21 years again to get back again. And, and we were 32 years having won it before. And it just, like, Dublin mightn't be in an All-Ireland final for a long time to come again. And so when you're there, take full advantage of it. That's a really interesting juncture in football as well, that 2000 final. Uh, the 2001 final probably more accurately because it's the, the last one before Ulster have this huge revolution and it, it changes the game really. And it kind of feels like even the Kerry team that wins in 2004 is very different to the 2000 team. I know it's not just a lot of similar players, but it feels like a different era of football. What was your experience as a player post-2001 when Armand Tyrone started to dominate? I suppose the thing about them, we love playing the Northern Boys. The Northern Boys brought a bit of kind of hardness, a bit of steel to games. And I suppose the Galway team at the time, we had a very strong spine. Like you had players like Thomas Mannion, like I mean, was the heart of steel. Myself, Kevin, you had Gary Fahey, you had WD. You had players, we loved the kind of the physicality. I used to love, I remember that time in 2000 and 2001 playing Armagh. And I'm not saying this, but they thought they were tough and hard. And they brought that because it was in their mental kind of a DNA. But then when they when they met Steel with Steel, they didn't like it at all. And I suppose we used to kind of love it then because, come on, bring it on like this. Where I suppose then when they played the, the Kerry teams and all that stuff where they brought this kind of, as they mass defence and area like that, it suited them. Because then like you have the likes of the Kerry forwards who were unbelievable forwards, but they didn't like to be pushed around. And I suppose that was a problem with Galway and going back even to 2000, we played Kerry playing football. And maybe that was a mistake we did. We went, as we fought fire with fire and it doesn't work. Where sometimes you have to bring a different game and maybe that was a problem. We didn't have a plan B. And sometimes you do have to see what other teams' weaknesses are and what their strengths are and go for their weaknesses instead of going, going for your own strengths. And maybe I always look at that. Maybe we, were, we played Kerry playing football. And I know a lot of people now are looking at even at this weekend um, like I mean we have, they're both the same in two footballing counties and it won't be so pretty trust me on that but going back to your question on the Northern Boys it was just the mentality and I suppose you, it was a golden era of 
uh, Ulster football, but it was a golden year of hard football, you know, that kind of way. And that's what probably where the Galways, we were kind of, um, a lot of us had retired to the stage. The Mayo boys were coming out. There wasn't a strong time there. Kerry was in the same boat. You know what I mean? The Ulster, Leinster had totally disappeared at that stage. And uh, it was just, there was so, any team that came out of Ulster, they were black and blue, but they knew how to win. I'm not going to say ugly, but they knew how to win not the nice way. Yeah. And that's what happened. And that's why they were so successful. You mentioned the retirements there. Other than that, what did happen to Galway in the 2000s? Well, I suppose it's like every team. And like, like you mean it happened to Kerry and so that. It was just a scenario where we had such success. Like people forget, like we, we all played in four All-Irons, two league finals. Um, we, were, we were just a good team at the right time. But what made that team was, it was a mixture of old and young. You had players, and I won't call them old, but like you had the Kevins, you had the Thomas Mannions and these players and Mac and Gold. And I suppose Sean Ogan, well, you had these guys who were really at their peak at the time of, of, um, of their playing career. And you had these great, uh, absolute whiz kids of, you had the likes of, as we call them, Michael Donnellan, Park Joyce, Paul Clancy, Derek Savage. Like, I mean, unbelievable footballers, like, you know, and Thomas Meehan, Declan Meehan. Like, and then all of a sudden, you had this just perfect mix. And that's it. You had experience, youth, speed, strength, everything. And then all of a sudden, like everything else, it's hard. I mean, then you—it's not like today. The careers, the families, and all this comes in, and the same old slog. Like, I mean, people are saying Galway's a big county. Like, I used to like I used to leave my work here at half four in the afternoon to be training in Banlaslow at half seven, three hours, and then you'd be leaving there half ten, home at one o'clock in the morning. So people understand that's a hard slog. There was no motorways that time. You'd grab a few sandwiches and a carton of milk, and you go home. So and that's. Poor me. But that's what it was. You so, always train in Ballon Slow. We used to train once a week coming up to the championship because the boys in Dublin. We used to train in Monave, but Monave is still another 50k from here across the city. So um, then Tume. So you got people to stand. Always a large, large county. Like, And you're talking for me, the average was always an hour and a half traveling there. So three hours traveling just to a training session. Mm. So it's tough. Is that, um, we'll come back to that in just a sec, but is that, is that something that has gone in their favour recently. I've, I've no idea now. We're like a lot of the Galway lads based in Dublin pre-COVID and has things changed? Because I know Mayo commented on that um, when COVID arrived that um, when they got to the couple of All-Irelands during COVID it was like it's great to not have to tra- train in the middle of the country somewhere. Yeah, has that been a factor at all for Galway? I don't think so because majority of them would be based around the city around Galway and students and if you look at the majority of all county teams they're more the school teachers or their yeah. students or reps or something like that. So their kind of lifestyle is based around football. And you can see that, and you, there's, no, there's no other way. If you have a nine to five job, it's, it's, you, it's serious sacrifice. Like, and you look at McCarthy, like, and you know, these guys, and McCaffrey, sorry, as a doctor, it's impossible. You know what I mean? It's impossible to have anything else. You cannot, you cannot keep both sides going because something's going to break in the end. So we're looking off that. I know we have students up in, in Dublin as well, and a few around the county. But these guys train with their with their colleges. You know what I mean? They're with the cigars and stuff like that, and they're they're. They're just primed athletes, like that scenario. So they're well looked after. The motorways make it a bit easier. Yeah. Like from Dublin to Galway, you'd be out in an hour and a half. Don't forget, I was doing that as well nearly every night. So it's, it suits them. So it wouldn't be a huge factor. I suppose what the COVID was, everybody was working from home and that kind of scenario. But that was another animal, which is, is I mean, I'm glad it's over because um, it was tough. It was serious hard playing without no, anyone watching you and stuff like that. It was tough and, and pods and all that stuff. So hope we don't have to go back there again. Just one last thing I wanted to touch on from that 2000s conversation we were having is, I guess it kind of fits into the bit we were talking about with regards to Armagh and Tyrone. And Galway eventually do turn to an Armagh man to try and uh, change their fortunes around in in Joe Kernan in 2010. You were in his backroom team at that point. Can you talk us through how that happened and and, uh, why it was Joe in the first place and, and your own experiences that year? Well, I suppose people understand Joe's mom is a guy woman. She was from Banlaslow, like, and Joe always said that he would never, ever manage another team but Galway. 
So I suppose uh, with Galway that time again, it was a hard time because um, it was a rebuilding team and I always remember um, in that championship because Joe, again, to me, was probably the modern era manager. He had a great coach and John McCluskey who was over with Bath, English rugby league team, and brought him over. And it was the first time I actually probably saw the modern day training uh, where the manager really stood back at the trainer. So that's what he does. He's, instead of a manager trying to change, I always look at a scenario trying to make racehorses out of elephants. You had, you know what I mean? You, do, you work with what you have. Don't try and change the DNA. So what are your strengths and work on that? And we had a very good team that time, a very young team, with, but probably not experienced at the time. Probably had a bit of heartache and some of that. But with good man's I remember Adam Mulholland was before it and Liam Salmon. And there was a good structure done that time. And I suppose when Joe was brought in, it was kind of bringing an outside voice, an outside view. And myself and Tom Nocton were brought in as selectors. And it, it didn't work out in the end. We only did the one year, but um, we're unlucky too because I always remember we played, actually, and Kevin was the manager of Sligo and Sligo Bettis, I think, in, in the in the Connacht semi-final that time. But I remember losing Thomas, uh, sorry, Michael Meehan and Nicky Joyce, who would be a first cousin to work, who were probably one of the two best forwards in the time. We didn't have them. And they'd be like losing today um, Sean O'Shea and, and, and Clifford in a game. So we were unlucky that time. I knew that. Um, but it's one of those things, you just, it's experience. But uh, I saw, uh, I suppose, in, in stood me regarding my own management career regarding local county teams and underage here in my own club I learned a lot and a lot of how to kind of manage teams and drills and stuff like that and it's um, the, the modern player and how you have to live and regarding sports psychology and dietitians and video analysis and all that stuff so it was interesting and I learned a lot yeah, like if your All-Ireland winning years were right before Revolution, so was that time in 2010 right before the Dublin yeah. Revolution. So you were kind of at the centre of two really important junctures in modern Gaelic football. Correct, but I suppose I, I went from, I suppose, you might as well say I went from the black and white to the colour to the, as I say, to the modern, as I say, digital TVs, the HDs. So, but it's, it's an interesting one because we, at the end of the day, the players are still the same. The same skills as what, you, what you're trying to do with them is actually get the max out of them. And I suppose when you look back the years, I always even myself, maybe I should have done a bit more. Maybe I should have looked after myself a bit more. Maybe I should have done A, B. Because we'll always look back when we used to do weights in the winter. And then you'd stop. That was it. You stopped the minute of the championship. You never did any more. Where now it's all about core and stuff like that. And looking after yourself and the right food and the right energy and the right sleep and this. And when you go on the pitch, you can see them. They're, they're, they're primed. They're like racehorses. They're primed animals. And you never see them come off. And the GPSs, that, like I remember Joe's, the one, that was 2010, brought in the GPSs, where you learned regarding, you see a guy on the pitch where you think like the sweat's pouring out of him and, Jesus, that guy, he can't run anymore. But the G GPS says, that guy's nothing wrong. His heart is perfect. And then you see a guy there, you think he'd keep running and his heart is at full whack, you know, that kind of way. So you learn a lot where digital kind of technology is coming ahead now and you're using it and it's used correctly and that's what it's and it's important but then you kind of say are we losing the fun aspect of sport regarding uh, the GA itself where now yes county planes have to train at that but then you see the underage and you see these development squads and then you see the clubs it's going down it's going down thinking we need to do this too so you, you hear now you see teams under 14s wearing GPSs so like you mean where what is, is the Gwilin would say Kerdain point like you know that's the way I look at it like are we not kind of um, 
that's why probably why I always say is we lose so many great young underage talent by the time they're 18, 19 because they're burnt out. Yeah. They've been over analysed, over trained, over everything where they just say, I don't want to do it anymore. And it's, it's a shame, it's a pity and it needs to be looked at and it's, it's happening too often and maybe it's something the GA really has to look at properly. Is that your experience in this part of Galway that maybe the, 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 it's not being squeezed to the full of its potential, the, the, the kids that are growing up around here? It, it, I'm not saying squeeze. It's, I think it's as far as you go to any local pub around the country, they'll tell you that. They'll just say, listen, you'll spot a gun. Geez, that guy was an unbelievable talent. Yeah. And that's the problem. You, the question is, why do you not continue on? Why aren't they going on to the next level? Why aren't they representing their county? And listen, only a small percentage can. It's not a scenario that you don't want to represent your county. Maybe physically you can't because of work commitments, family commitments, travel commitments. So people have to forget that. But there is a lot of them you kind of say, and Galway had, were renowned for that. We had some great underage teams over the last 20 years. And you looked in at teams saying, Jesus, you look at a minor team, there's only two in that team ever went on and played senior. But you look at the team today, nearly all played under 21 minor. And so that's really where you want to see that they're coming on. The Northern boys are great at that. Tyrone were brilliant at that where they brought them forward. And I suppose they looked at a minor medal really I'm not, I'm not knocking a county All-Ireland minor medal, but it didn't really count unless you went played senior. Yeah. And I think that's the way they're looked at. And maybe we give too much value to a minor medal. And that was, the, I'm not saying it, it's, it's a huge commitment and a huge uh, achievement to win a, an, an All-Ireland minor medal. But maybe we say is you can do more. And that's the thing about it. You're still coaching away a bit, are you? Still coaching away now, but I'm coming to the end of my coaching. I suppose I'm 20 years on the coaching uh, trail and um, I suppose, like everything else, I have two young lads coming through and I suppose you follow them. I suppose the kind of scenario, like you go there saying, I'll give a hand, uh, hand out a few water bottles because you're dropping them off at training and you're picking them up and going to the matches and end up, you end up start coaching, next thing your manager and all that stuff. But I enjoyed it. I think it's very important nearly every county player should do it or ex-county player that to give a little bit back, you know, because especially your own club because it's important because it's very important to give the knowledge you have. And I'm not saying it's valuable knowledge, but anything you learn, I think is valuable in coaching because I think we've gone away from speaking and coaching players. I think we we too much emphasis on the drills of that where like we're not speaking to them, telling you, you spots. Thing. Like, I, I, I don't enjoy matches anymore. I actually analyse matches, which I kind of find it's annoying because um, I don't enjoy it. I'll be watching, looking at tactics, looking where the players are moving. At. I just don't watch the scores anymore. I'll say, why did that score happen? So, um, but it's still, it's still the, the, the GA, the football GA is still in my heart so big, like, and I love it. And uh, that's why I think it's so important to us to enjoy it. And uh, I say for ex-players, anyone, and again, the people that give their free time to coach, and that's the most important thing, it's so important. But for Galway, and I suppose this is it, um, it's always important to have a senior team doing well. Because when they do, the younger agents see it, and they go to Crow Park and they enjoy it. And that's really makes our job as coaches and underage and, and, and the senior teams easier because they want to come out training. They want to play football. When the team isn't doing well, they don't want to. They'll watch the soccer. They'll watch other sports, rugby, which is great. And it's very important that all children play sports. But as us, as the, the GA and the, and the Gaelic football, we want them doing our sport more than others. And um, when Galway are doing well and getting to finals, it makes it easier for us. Did you always know that Joyce was going to be the guy that would take Galway pretty close? Not an iota. I thought if you were asking me, you'd be one of the last. And, and, and this is not knocking him in any way. Uh, Porrick and like unbelievable player like you know, and funny he was with us in 2010 and I, I have no problem saying this and we had this conversation we saw him as ah, he's going to be a player that's coming on in the second half as a sub he was our standout player 
and he's funny. He was like a he was like a, a great bottle of wine, a glass of wine. He improved with age. Like we we all, I, I saw Park training. Like I mean, he's a magician. Like I mean, we used to have three on one backs and and one forward, and he'd have the three backs and the goalkeeper sitting on their arse, and he'd be still throwing the ball. Like you know, but Park, uh, he's a typical North Board footballer guy. Like uh, uh, cocky. In one way, and I'm not saying this again in, in, in any kind of disrespect to Park, and you have to be, to be a great player, you have to have a bit, a bit of cockiness in you, because if you don't, you know what I mean, you'll never be that good, like, and I'm not saying you're showing it, but mentally you have to have it. But he wouldn't have been one, like, in all fairness, there's other guys I would put before him, but I suppose um, the business that he's in now, and, 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 and what I call it, he's in recruitment agency, so I suppose when you're in business, understand the kind of the, the how do you say, the quick, the business line and all that stuff, so he's like he didn't have much experience, people forget. Like he had the under twenty team there, and only got like he didn't didn't achieve anything there, but came in. But the most important thing about Park does, and that's what a good manager does. He gets a great team around him. Like we have a local guy here, Milo Milo Donald was a captain of the Carroll Club. We won our only in one county championship in '96, and then you have then the likes of Ken O'Neill. Like Ken O'Neill is a genius. Um, he himself and Buckley and these guys, you know, what I mean, they're absolute genius. And they were, we go back about the the importance of trainers. And maybe that's what probably Park was probably lacking in the last couple of years that he probably tried to do it all himself. And um, bringing in Kinnery was an absolute smart um, genius of an idea, a valuable idea. And you can see the difference. This is a guy that was with Tipperary, Kerry, Mayo, manager of Kildare, known at all. Now he's brought that huge wealth of experience and, and bringing it to a team. And you can see it. They're, they're, the boys are enjoying their football and they're playing at their absolute limits. And that's what you want to see. Um, there's going to be a lot of different uh, previews done in terms of different matchups that go on this weekend. I'm just very keen to get your take on how midfield goes this weekend because uh, I think you could kind of maybe call it either way. There's been a, plenty of criticism of the, the Kerry midfield and then similarly there's been people picking up the Kerry midfield saying that they have the, the edge over this Galway uh, centre of the park. So uh, how do you see that particular battle going? It's a strange one. Like if you're going, if you're basing on the 1990s, you'd give it to Kerry. Uh, like again, I don't like knocking any player because it's not right. Because, but I, I look at the carry with O'Connor as a class thing. Then you have Morn. Morn showed then he doesn't have the legs for the seventy-five minutes. And this is a guy like he's won it all, been there, done that. But it shows his, his experience and importance and to the carry team that they keep bringing him back. They're missing that little percentage that he brings to the team. But it showed, I suppose, with the goal that Dublin got, it was a mistake by him, and it's just tiredness. And um, the guy, how much has he achieved over the years? But I suppose. When you look at Galway, then what you have Paul Conroy again, another older statesman. You have Killing McDay then as well, and Conroy probably the best football of his career in the first earlier matches. And I suppose that was probably his downfall in scenario where he was a marked man. Then after that, where it was kind of seen, especially with the Roscommon game, where we'll keep him quiet and you're saving him scoring four or five points because in the Mayo game and the in the Leitrim game he was outstanding. He was shooting for fun. Then Killing comes in, and Killing then, which again, unbelievably, unbelievable underage talent. Uh, very unfortunate with some serious injuries over the years after he came back from Australia um, but that then Australian Aussie rules uh, career which was short but it stood to him but you can see it now his fitness levels and his and his, I suppose being a full-time athlete showed it uh, outstanding outstanding in the in the kind of final outstanding against Armagh like that last 20 minutes against Armagh he just ran the show like it's, it just it looks like he was getting fresher it was going on like they got a new set of batteries at, at, at the extra time part and then we saw the Derry match where it was kind of strange. They cancelled each other out, the Derry midfield and the Galway midfield. But now this fine we're talking, we have O'Connor, we have Morin. Uh, O'Connor be more, like as I said, the, the, the midfield now where you're, you're, you're slim, you can run all day. Himself and Killy McDade will block each other out. Then you have Paul Conroy and you have Morin. There's very little in between them. 
I, I, Jack Barry in the mix as well. Well, Jack Barry is another true. I forgot about Jack Barry there bringing him in, and he, he came in the last day. But it's funny where the, now the kickouts are bypassing midfield. So it's kind of a scenario where maybe Galway the last day were actually kicking along, but it's all about inches now. You're trying to land the ball in a small space. So really it's all about the running game, the connection between the midfield is now a link between defence and attack. And they're really expected to score. So to me it's going to be come down to small inches, small percentages where I see Galway having it, the little bit of advantage here. And this is in a way a scenario where just that I think that they have had a harder battle to date. And I'm saying that against the players they've marked and regarding the games and the Armagh game. So I just think they have a little bit more. I think the scenario where I could probably see the likes of Paul Conroy coming in one or two and Killeen again in that scenario getting a goal, which is important for Galway. We've actually got Kevin Walsh coming up on the show this morning. Which one of you would mark David Moore in if you were playing today? Uh, probably Kevin Owens he's got slow I used to see him get always the quick ones he used to get the more kind of bulkier ones in that scenario so I end up probably Mark O'Connor or Jack Barry but again um, like more like an, an awful as I say giant of a man uh, a serious uh, athlete in the scenario what he's achieved to date and, and scored and again I'm saying it it shows you the importance to carry where this is a guy probably now if he was still with the Galway teams would be saying listen you've had your day but bringing him back and then showed his wealth in this first half when Kerry were dominating Dublin where he was there in the middle of it like you know but uh, regarding Kevin I suppose yeah he'd probably mark him at the stage you know there'd be, there'd be a good battle there a few handbags being thrown as well no harm with that like you know Who's going to win? It's a strange one I could see this actually ending in a draw yeah. and the only reason I'm going to give it to Galway is saying that we have probably the two sets up forwards probably the best in the country at the moment when you have David Clifford and Sean O'Shea but then you have Shane Welch and, and uh, Damien Comer so I think both sides it's going to come down to just a little mistake like a, a black card or something stupid like a goalkeeper mistake which we've been renowned to at this moment in time but I, I just think Galway could sneak it I don't know either it will go to a replay or Galway will just sneak it that's what I'm hoping for so uh, 2000 in the first instance anyway and maybe a different result in the replay well it'd be nice to do revenge and I always say that I know they're not thinking that but for us old lads I wish they would do revenge on that one but um, I just think this Galway team have no fear um, they're, they're a team of um, I suppose uh, going into a final with a lot of confidence and nothing to lose and that's a strange one to say regarding to lose in All-Ireland I don't think they have anything to lose because it wasn't expected us to be there Kerry have this big burden of not having won in All-Ireland and for eight years and the, the Dublin voodoo thing where they hadn't beaten Dublin. But for us, it's a scenario where we've beaten them before in 2018 when Kevin was manager. So it's proved that we can do it. Um, we, we know that we're as good as them. And I know that we have um, the same, as say, we're a footballing team that has a lot to achieve. And even, we're, we're only started the journey. This Kerry team, a lot of them been around for a while and there's a lot of pressure. Like, a lot of, whoever thought there's a lot of that team that don't even have one All-Ireland medal. That's, that's unheard of in Kerry team. Like, you know, take out more and, the, and that's it. Like, so if this Galway team have nothing to lose and this is only the start of their journey and that's what's going to, so we're going to hear a lot about this Galway team in the years to come. Sean, enjoy the rest of the build-up. Uh, I know you're not going to enjoy Sunday, as you already <laughs> said, but uh, try and analyse it as best you can. Thanks a million for being so generous with your time this morning. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.